Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. about the fact that Peter, that Jesus chose to give Peter another name, not a name to replace the name Peter, or Simon rather, he gave him the name Peter. Um, And I even showed you and shared with you how Simon was a very common name throughout scripture and that there are actually seven places and I gave you the seven people with, you know, and the scripture references as to where they were and they all had the name Simon and how that's kind of important because we tend sometimes when we are just looking through scripture to just, you know, go through it and just kind of think, okay, his name was Simon, and, you know, we don't realize that there were so many other ones. And that's what is, to me, very interesting about the subject matter because even though it seems to be taking a while, we are breaking everything down so that when when we complete it, you will really be very informed and hopefully a lot uh, wiser when it comes to these 12 ordinary men. And most importantly, you will take their lives in juxtaposition to your own and see where we can glean so much from them. One of the things that's so important that I learned directly and all of us should have from the apostle was that we can learn experientially. We do not have to go through the same thing or walk through the same thing as somebody else. We can learn from their experiences. And I really like that because I don't want to have to do do everything. If I can have any kind of shortcut where I can learn, you know, from somebody else, I would much rather do that than to have to learn everything on my own. So that's what's so wonderful about these 12 apostles, I feel. So anyway, we talked about the fact that the nickname given to Simon, because he was known as Simon Peter, um, Peter stood for what? The rock. And sometimes Jesus would call him Simon anyway, but sometimes he would call him Peter. And when he called him Peter, it was often a signal that Peter had done something wrong that needed to be corrected. That's why he would call him that. Um, And this is really significant in us starting to understand who this man, Simon Peter, really, really was. For instance, and I shared with you last week, when it came to Abram, he changed his name and made it Abraham. Or Sarai, he changed it and made it Sarah. In this particular instance, he did not change Simon's name. He made it Simon Peter for a reason, because he wanted to get his attention based upon what he called him. And then I shared with you how, well, uh, one of my brother's names, his first name was Arnold, his given name, and his middle name was Eugene. And if my mother called him Arnold, okay, it was no big deal, all right, it's Arnold. But if she said Arnold Eugene, all of us ducked for cover because we knew, okay, you really pushed the envelope there. You did something wrong for her to spit out that second name. Well, Jesus did the same thing when it came to Simon, Simon Peter. So if he called him Peter, he knew something was not quite right. Now, the nickname was definitely significant. And the Lord had a specific reason for choosing it. You see, by nature, Simon was brash, vacillating, meaning he was very wavering. He'd be one way or the other way all the time, okay? And he was just plain long undependable. He tended to have 
great promises that he couldn't follow through with. Now, have we? sometimes you may have met someone like that who promises you the world. And I mean, unfortunately, divorces have been hinged upon that, you know, where people get married and, you know, Men may have thought they were going to have this wonderful little wife that was going to stay home and cook and clean and, you know, take care of him and found out that she only knew how to do reservations and she hired somebody because she wasn't about to clean a thing. And, you know, and, and, and it's like, wait a minute, that's not exactly what I thought that I was getting into. And vice versa. We know many women who thought they were going to have men that were going to be protectors and were going to really care for them and provide for them to find out that their provision was, you know, kind of like having a cup of coffee and sitting on the couch all day. Does not quite work, okay? So the thing is to say that he was undependable and that he was different, okay, we know people who have been the same way, who don't follow through with things. He was definitely one of those people who, throw, who would throw himself into something wholeheartedly. And we know people like that too. They're all in. But then they're all out before the project is finished. He was definitely usually the first one in, and too often he was the first one out. When Jesus met him, he fit James's description that you can find in James, the first chapter and the eighth verse which says in the New King James Version, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, that's terrible. That's not a nice description, okay? The Amplified says, being a double-minded man, unstable and restless in all his ways, in everything he thinks, feels, or decides. And the Living Bible puts it this way, in every decision, you then make will be uncertain as you turn first this way and then that. If you don't ask with faith, don't expect the Lord to give you any solid answer. So this is kind of showing us a big flaw when it comes to Simon Peter. Yet and still, he was the one who was the leader of these 12 ordinary men. Now I find that really fascinating, but the thing that's so exciting about that is that Jesus could take somebody who really he's not given a great description of, who seems to have all kinds of challenges, but yet still he's the leader. That means you and I have a shot. <laughs> it means that with all the little things that we may have that we're still working on, he can still use us. I mean, so I find that part very good. So first, Peter was an imperfect person that Jesus used along with 11 other imperfect men to rewrite history. And they actually found the early church, as we have studied and known. Now, since he is no respecter of persons, he could certainly use you and me to do what? Be very effective in kingdom building. Secondly, Jesus wanted the nickname to be a perpetual reminder to Peter about who he should be. See, that's very key. This, I'm going to press the pause button here. This is very key because you see, some of our relatives and people in generations before us that may have given us certain nicknames, they did not have, you know, you can't hold people accountable for what they don't know. So people years ago did not realize that when they called people certain things that they were actually imparting that into their lives. They didn't know that. Just like some people today don't realize that when you name a child, the meaning of that name, every time you call that child, you were speaking that into their lives. So when you get some of these names, you know, like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> trying to, 
they have some really strange names, and I don't want to call anybody that I know the strange name. You know, I mean, I know some people who were named, they named their children after a street. I mean, I know this personally, but I don't want to call their names. But, you know, they named their children after a street where they used to hook up. So it's like, oh, we're going to name the baby. I'm like, are you kidding me? So it's like every time they call that person's name, they are speaking that into their lives. But you can't, if they don't know that, you can't hold them accountable for it. You can't, you know, they didn't know. I'm happy and blessed and thank God that I found this out early. So, because I actually personally hated my name. I told my parents, I used to tell them from the time I was about seven years old, as soon as I can become 21 and change my name, I am changing my name. Who names their kid Iva? That is the most, I really, you have no idea. I did not like my name because first of all, most people did not pronounce it correctly and to this day, they still call me all kinds of things. You know, Ava, Ivory, they come up with names out of three letters that I just can't even imagine. It doesn't bother me now, but as a child, you know, you feel bad that people can't call your name right because you don't like to be called other things. So that was my mission. I was gonna have my name changed. So then I got older and I went and found out what my name meant because my parents didn't know, okay? They actually named me after somebody else that they liked. Thank God she had a good name. <laughs> but they just named me after, my name is, from people that they knew. And a lot of people do that. You know, like there's still certain ethnicities like Italian people do that. You are named after some other relative in the family. That's just tradition. So just so happens that this person named Ivy was a nice lady. She had a nice name. And my name is Hebrew and it means God's gracious gift. Who would not love this name? So after I found what it meant, I realized when we were about to have children, I went and would scour for hours through books to find out what our children's names were going to mean. Because I recognize every time I call them, I am speaking their name. And I would sometimes actually go down when they were sleeping. That used to be one of my favorite times when all of them were home, to just go down and look at them sleep. <laughs> sometimes it's the most peaceful time you're gonna get. But, but I, would, I enjoyed that because I would go down and I would pray while I watched them sleep and I would speak their names, and their names had specific meanings, so I knew I was speaking into their lives. That is so important. So if you never thought about that, think about it. And if you know anybody that's having children, maybe you might wanna share that with them. So they realize that when they're calling that child's name, they are speaking the meaning of it in their lives so that they don't end up with, you know, let's throw up the forks and see what comes down and call them that. Okay, because it doesn't have any significant meaning, so you know. And then sometimes you may have had a nickname. Like somebody may have given you a strange nickname, like, uh, I don't know. I, I can't think of anything, you know. Uh, big head, bucket head, all of those coming back to me because I have such a big head. Um, who? Okay, Bubba. Okay, well, Bubba's not too bad, because that could just be like a, you know. But, you know, sometimes you're given a derogatory nickname, you know, like uh, Step and Fetch It. Some people actually would say that. I know it doesn't sound nice, but you know what? There are still people who have names like that. Or, you know, Johnny Come Lately. That's not positive either, because what do you mean come lately? I want to be on time. You know, but, uh, but, but here's, here's the point I'm making. Whether we think about it, and that's why I'm bringing it up and spending time on it, because I want you to think about it. 
When you say those things, even, you know, because you're not thinking it's any big deal, it's a very big deal. Because Johnny come lately, you will find, he hears that all the time, faith cometh by hearing. And it doesn't just mean the word of God. Anything you hear on a continuous basis, you have faith for it. So Johnny come lately might have normally been a person who was on time, and next thing you know, he's always going to be late. Not just late in time, but late in accomplishing things, late in doing things. It's not a good thing. Just like anytime anyone speaks something negative into a child's life, you know, like you can't get math, you just dumb. Oh my goodness, that person should be whipped because there is nobody who can, you can get anything. As long as you try and you put God first, he, there's nothing you can't get. He created all that there is. But all I'm saying is we do that kind of stuff. So I only mention that because you might have had some off the wall name attached to you as a child because people didn't know any better. If that's the case, okay, deaden that name. You can do that. You have the power and the authority through your own words to say, this is the last day I'm ever going to associate myself with that negative name. Cut it now because you, you don't realize that it might actually be affecting how you are progressing on in life and it could be holding you back. So you have the power to do it. Now, I don't know who this is for. This was not, I don't know, but here's another thing. When people get married, you know how they stand before whoever's marrying them, the pastor, and you know the traditional, uh, I'll take you for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. Don't ever do that. Okay, we, many of you may have been married and done that. I had done that originally because that's what they said, but I thank the Lord. I went to a church that taught me different and they had a renewal of vows and we renewed our vows. There is no such thing as for richer or for poorer. We are never to be poor. So why am I gonna stand up there and say that? And for better or worse, do I ever want worse? No. So again, the power of words, you have to be careful what you're allowing to be spoken into your life. And you have to understand, think about it. You're sitting here today saved, how? Because of course it's a gift from God, but what was your participation in it? Your words, you had to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. So the point that I'm making to you is your words changed your life. So the words that you speak in every area will continue to change your life. As a matter of fact, and you will hear me say this later on, and you may hear me say this a lot because I truly mean it 100%. Anything that you want in this earth realm, anything that you want changed in your life, you know where it is? It's in your mouth. All you have to do is change what's coming out of your mouth to see the change manifest in your life. Now, was that on my notes? No. <laughs> but apparently, the Holy Spirit wanted you to know it for some reason. So back to Jesus wanting Peter's name to be a perpetual reminder. From that point on, whatever Jesus called him, it sent a subtle message. If he called him Simon, he was signal signaling that he was acting like his old self. If he called him Rock, which is what he wanted to be called, okay, he was commending him for acting the way he ought to be acting. So this young man named Simon, who would become Peter, notice that, who would become Peter, because he would call him Peter. He would become 
that which he was speaking into his life when he called him that. Get it? Yep. So when I call my granddaughter, <laughs> I can't think of her and I smile, sorry. But when I call her Honora, her name means full of grace, mercy, and prayer. So when I call her that, I'm speaking that into her life. So I mean, she's gotta be an angel. <laughs> Because that's what we speak, and I speak to her all the time. And if I don't call her that, my nickname for her is Angel Baby, because she will always be an angel to everyone as long as she lives in Jesus' name. So anyway, that's, it's important that we do that. It's very important. So from then on, the Lord could gently scold Simon Peter or commend him just by using one name or the other. This also shows us the importance of a name, and I already spent time talking to you about that, so we don't even have to go over that. Um, because, as I said, that is super, super, super important. Whether aware of the significance of the meaning of names or not, many of us know the significance of how a name is used. And I shared with you last week, if most of the time I call Stanley Honey. I, that's kind of like what I always call him. Every now and then I'll call him Stan. Like if I'm talking to you about him, I'll say, well, I don't say honey, he said so-and-so. I'll say Sam said so-and-so. But if I ever say Stanley, he knows, okay, what in the world? You know, it's just something, there's a little tension there. Very rarely do I ever call him that. But the point is, we all know that. We all know, every single one of us in here does not want to be called outside of our names. Okay, right, you get your back up, you, you know, ready to take your earrings off and everything else if somebody calls you outside of your name. So we truly understand the significance of Jesus using more than one name for Peter. We get it, right? We could agree? Okay. The two names actually started to be used by everyone else also to Peter. John, who based upon the, who, based upon the gospel narratives, knew Peter very well. Actually, they were very lifelong friends, even from childhood. And then they became business associates and neighbors. And in the Gospel of John, John refers to his friend 15 times as Simon Peter. That's exactly how he refers to him. Because John really couldn't decide which name to use because he saw both sides of Peter on a regular basis. So he really didn't know which one to call him. He actually took the nickname himself. If you turn with me, I'm going to prove it, because I don't like to do stuff and not prove it. Turn with me to 2 Peter, and you can look at the first chapter and the first verse. And we'll look at it really quickly in the New King James Version, because I know that's what most people have. And it says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter actually, and that was Peter speaking, by the way. So he actually called himself Simon Peter. He took the, the nickname, and he actually made it his surname. So we don't even know what his surname was because he took on Peter as his surname. And that you can find in Acts. You can jot it down if you want. I'll share it with you. Acts, the 10th chapter and the 32nd verse in the New King James Version, it says, send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. Now, after the resurrection, the I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Acts, the 10th chapter, and this 32nd verse. Yes, yeah, sorry, you have to slow me down, because I'm so excited. I have so much to share. I'm just like, oh. 
a freight train. I don't mean to be. So everybody got that? It's Acts yep. 10? Okay, good. So yeah, just raise your hand. I'll, I'll get it. <laughs> okay, after the resurrection, the disciples were instructed to return to Galilee. And we see this in Matthew. Okay, this I'm actually going to share with you. Matthew, the 28th chapter, you can turn there if you have your Bibles. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 8. And I'm going to share it out of the Amplified Bible Classic Edition. Okay? Starting with verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, near dawn of the first day of the week, Mary of Magdala and the other Mary went to take a look at the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the boulder back and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his garments as white as snow. And those keeping guard were so frightened at the sight of him that they were agitated and they trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be alarmed and frightened, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen as he said he would do. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they left the tomb hastily and with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. So therefore the disciples were to do what? Return to Galilee. All right. Jesus did show himself to the disciples several times. He actually would give them instructions. So it wasn't like they had to guess where are we supposed to see you next, you know, because he was actually still trying to help him before his ascension to heaven. So they were supposed to meet again at a specific spot. What do you think Peter did? He was his old self and became impatient, apparently tired of waiting, can you imagine? And announced that he was going back to fishing. The other disciples, because remember, he's what, the leader? So they dutifully followed him because he was the leader, which lets us know we have to be careful who we follow. Okay, you got to be so careful, which is why another thing I loved about the, I love about the apostle is he always tells you, don't take my word for it, look it up yourself. Do not sit and just pay attention to what I say, which is why it's so important that you do that on your own so that you know what's going on because somebody could misspeak. They may not intentionally do it, but they could misspeak and you could end up in a ditch following behind them. Okay, so anyway. This is what these little 11 other people did. They followed dutifully behind Peter. They got into the boat. They fished all night long and caught absolutely nothing. So was this not a waste of time and life because you never get your time back or your life back? Yes, it was. Turn with me to John's Gospel, the 21st chapter. John 21, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 first. And I'm going to share it with you out of the Living Bible. So John 21, starting with verse 1, says, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Lake of Galilee. This is how it happened. A group of us were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, the twin, 
Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, my brother James, and the two other disciples. Now this is John, of course, writing this, because it's the Gospel of John. Simon Peter said, <laughs> I'm going fishing. Well, we'll come too, we all said. We did, but cut, caught nothing all night. So this just confirms the story I told you. Now you're in 21, jot down just to the fifth verse. And we're gonna look at verses five through 12. Because remember, a couple of weeks ago, I shared different things that the disciples would do, and then I would say, what was Jesus' response to what they did? Because we can learn from his response. He always shows us how we are to react to a situation. Now, he sees what they did. They sat out here and followed Peter. Okay, it wasn't a bright decision, but rather than he didn't scold them or tell them how silly were you, you know, he didn't do that. This is what he did. He called, any fish boys? <laughs> no, we replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get plenty of them. So we did, and couldn't draw in the net because of the weight of the fish. There were so many. Then I said to Peter, it is the Lord. At that, Simon Peter put on his tunic, for he was stripped down to the waist, because you can imagine, I mean, you know, he, he was very, very special. <laughs> and jumped into the water and swam ashore. The rest of us stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to the beach about 300 feet away. When we got there, we saw that a fire was kindled and fish were frying over it and there was bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went out and dragged the net ashore. By his count, there were 153 large fish and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. And none of us dared ask him if he really was the Lord, for we were quite sure of it. Now when he called them boys, he literally meant children. The actual uh, translation, if you go back to the original, it means children, okay? Um, the point is, he didn't make them feel bad or ignorant for what they did. What did he do? Instead, he extended grace. He made them breakfast. And then there's still a reason why he did that. Because it is believed that the purpose of this whole breakfast meeting was to restore Peter and allow him to really save face. Because if you think about it, remember, he had sinned big time by denying Christ on the night the Lord was betrayed. Three times Jesus addressed him as Simon. Turn to, you're already, go to John 21, you're there. Let's drop down to the 15th chapter. 15, not 15th chapter, 15th verse. So it's John 21, the 15th verse. This time I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified Bible Classic Edition, starting with verse 15. And when they had eaten, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Others do with reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion as one loves the Father. See, that's a big qualifier, okay? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, that I have deep, instinctive, personal affection for you as for a close friend. He said to him, feed my lambs. Again, he said to him, he meaning Jesus, said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
with reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion as one loves the Father? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, that I have a deep, instinctive, personal affection for you. As for a close friend, he said to him, shepherd, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with a deep, instinctive, personal affection for me as for a close friend? Peter was grieved, was saddened and hurt that he should ask him the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, meaning he's sovereign, he knows everything. You know that I love you, that I have a deep, instinctive, personal affection for you as for a close friend. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. <laughs> I love that. Three times Peter affirmed his love for Jesus. Now this time when he did it, however, I truly believe that he meant it like he previously had stated it when we heard him state it back in Mark. Mark, the 14th chapter, in verse 29, it says this, and this again is the Amplified Bible Classic Edition. But Peter said to him, even if they all fall away and are caused to stumble and distrust and desert you, yet I will not do so. Now, this was prior to him betraying him three times. But in his heart, you know, he meant it, but because scripture had to be fulfilled and Jesus knew what he was going to do, you know, he messed up and he didn't do it. But this time, I, I, it really is believed that he truly did mean it. So we do know that this, and this is key, we do know that this was the last time that Jesus ever had to call him Simon. A few weeks later on Pentecost, Peter and the rest of the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was Peter, the rock, who stood up and preached that day. And if you look at Acts, the second chapter, verses 14 through 41. Boy, I might be able to do it. Okay, I'm gonna see if I can get it done. <laughs> okay, Acts 2. I'm going to share it with you out of the Living Bible. And I want you to follow along. We're going to start with verse 14. Here's the thing that I want you to keep in mind. We see this man who royally, in a lot of ways, has kind of messed up. Um, he's been considered uh, vacillating or very wavering. You know, he shows up when, he, like Jesus tells him to meet him at a certain place, he doesn't show up on time, you know, he decides he wants to go fishing, he wastes everybody's time. You know, you can kind of see this person who's kind of like unstable, you know? Yet and still, on this day, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, we see Peter, the rock. We don't see Simon, here's why. Starting with verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen, all of you, visitors and residents of Jerusalem alike. Some of you are saying these men are drunk. And he's talking about those who have been filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room, okay? Um, people don't get drunk at 9 a.m. <laughs> no, what you see this morning was predicated centuries ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my Holy Spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams. Yes, the Holy Spirit shall come upon all my servants, men and women alike, 
and they shall prophesy. And I will cause strange demonstrations in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun shall turn black and the moon blood red before that awesome day of the Lord arrives. But anyone who asks for mercy from the Lord shall have it and shall be saved. Oh, men of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing tremendous miracles through him, as you well know. But God, knowing his prearranged plan, lets you use the Roman government to nail him to the cross and murder him. Then God released him from the horrors of death and brought him back to life again, for death could not keep this man within its grip. King David quoted Jesus as saying, I know the Lord is always with me. He is helping me. God's mighty power supports me. No wonder my heart is filled with joy and my tongue shouts his praises, for I know all will be well with me in death. You will not leave my soul in hell or let the body of your holy son decay. You will give me back my life and give me wonderful joy in your presence. Dear brothers, think. David wasn't referring to himself when he spoke these words I have quoted, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet and knew God had promised with an unbreakable oath that one of David's own descendants would be the Messiah and sit on David's throne. David was looking far into the future and predicting the Messiah's resurrection and saying that the Messiah's soul would not be left in hell and his body would not decay. He was speaking of Jesus and we all are witnesses that Jesus rose from the dead and now he sits on the throne of highest honor in heaven next to God. And just as promised, the Father gave him the authority to send the Holy Spirit with the results you are seeing and hearing today. No, David was not speaking of himself in these words of his I have quoted, for he never ascended into the skies. Moreover, he further stated, God spoke to my Lord, the Messiah, and said to him, sit here in honor beside me until I bring your enemies into complete subjection. Therefore, I clearly stated to everyone in Israel that God has made this Jesus you crucified to be the Lord, the Messiah. These words of Peter's moved them deeply. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each one of you must turn from sin, return to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you also shall receive this gift, the Holy Spirit. For Christ promised him to each one of you who has been called by the Lord our God and to your children and even to those in distant lands. Then Peter preached a long sermon telling about Jesus and strongly urging all his listeners to save themselves from the evils of their nation. And those who believed Peter were baptized about 3,000 in all. Now, when you think about Peter, what he did, he did not have the power of the Godhead within him. We do. So if he could do that, what in the world could we do? And what could God do through us? I think that's amazing. 
So Peter, when you think about it, he was really exactly like most Christians, even today, both carnal and spiritual. He succumbed to the habits of the flesh sometimes. He functioned in the spirit other times. He was sinful sometimes, but other times he acted the way a righteous man ought to act. This vacillating man, sometimes Simon, sometimes Peter, was the leader of these 12 ordinary men. This should be so encouraging to us, realizing that with our imperfections, we can still be used mightily by God if we simply make ourselves available. Besides, we do have that distinct advantage, okay, I'm talking, that distinct advantage that I just mentioned. We've got the power of the entire Godhead dwelling within us. That is something when you think about it. Now, Simon Peter was a fisherman by trade, and he and his brother Andrew were heirs to a family fishing business in Capernaum. Now, you see, again, I would hear people sit up and talk about the apostles were all these businessmen who had all these businesses and they followed Jesus. Now, we already learned last week, we only know about four of them. The rest of them, we don't know where they came from, what they had or what they did. I'm mentioning this because, again, it just shows how people begin on a little bandwagon, spout out information, but the information is incorrect. And then we take that information and we live our lives believing that the information was right, when in fact it was clearly wrong. Hmm. So the heirs to a business that we do know about happen to be Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. We know that, okay? They caught fish on the Sea of Galilee. Now here's a very interesting point. I like this. Commercial fishermen on that lake in Jesus' day caught three types of fish. That's it, three types. Now, the small fish mentioned in John's Gospel, the sixth chapter and the ninth verse, you can jot it down. I'll just share it with you. This is, well, I'll read the first one. I'll read it in the Amplified Version. John 6, verse 9 says this. There is a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people, okay? And in the Living Bible, it says, then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a youngster here with five barley loaves and a couple of fish. But what good is that with all this mob? Now, when we think about the fish that are there, did it ever occur to you what kind of fish they were? Like, did you think about, like, what is the size? Because they don't tell us that, right? That's why you're at Bible study because I can tell you, okay? <laughs> the fish, this was so interesting to me, were sardines. Oh, yeah. The two fish were sardines. Now, if I were to fix a meal for, for you and me, we can't dine off of two sardines, okay? So can you imagine? That makes this miracle even more special because 5,000 people with fragments left from two sardines. I thought that was just, ooh, that, I, I got excited about that. <laughs> now, but the other thing is, remember I had shared with you weeks ago about how when this happened, they had all of these new followers who were following around behind Jesus because they saw what miracle occurred with this food. Well, think about it. 
if you see some man bless two sardines and feed all these people, of course you're going to go follow behind him. You want the hookup because you're thinking not only about the free food, you're thinking if he could do that with two little sardines, what could he do with my money? Okay, if I gave him like two whatever that they had, I think, can you imagine what that could grow into? So of course he had a whole bunch of followers for that. Anytime he could do that. So I thought that was interesting. But back to talking about the fish, okay. Sardines and a kind of flatbread were the staples of that particular region during that time. Another kind of fish known as barbels, and it almost looks like barbells, but there's only one L. So it's B-A-R-B-E-L-S, okay? And they were known as that because of the fleshy filaments at the corners of their mouths. They're really a kind of a carp, and they're somewhat bony, but they grow to be rather large, weighing as much as 15 pounds. Okay, yeah, I know. Now, here's the interesting thing. A barbel was probably the kind of fish that Peter caught with the coin in its mouth when we look at Matthew, the 17th chapter, and verses 24 through 27. Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27. And out of the Amplified Bible, it says, when they arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the half shekel temple tax went up to Peter and said, does not your teacher pay the half shekel? Now, let me pause there. The half shekel was equivalent to two denarii or two days wages. Okay, so it was significant when you think about it. Okay, so Peter answered yes. And when he came home, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly rulers collect duties or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? When Peter said, from strangers, Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt from taxation. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take it and give it to them to pay the temple tax for you and me. Now, I like verse 25 in the Living Bible because Peter, of course, is saying, of course, you know, Jesus pays the taxes. And he went into the house to talk to Jesus about it. But before he had a chance to speak, Jesus said to him, this is what I like. What do you think, Peter? Do kings levy assessments against their own people or against conquered foreigners? Against the foreigners, Peter said. And then we know the rest of the story where he went and got this fish. But that's why it's pretty much, we can be very confident that it was a barbel. That was the type of fish. Now, the third type and the most common type of commercial fish are called mushed. It's a type of fish that swims and feeds in shallow water and has a comb-like fin. Now, mushed are edible size and they range from 6 to 18 inches. And fried mushed are still served in restaurants near the Sea of Galilee and are probably known today as St. Peter's fish. Which I thought was interesting. Now, Simon and Andrew spent their nights netting those fish. The brothers were originally from a small village called Bethsaida on the north shore of the lake. And that can be documented when you turn to John's Gospel, the first chapter, and the 44th verse. John 1, 
verse 44 says in the Amplified, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And in the Living Bible, it says Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. So that really confirms it for us. Um, but they moved to a large town nearby called Capernaum. And if you turn to Mark's gospel, see, now I do this not because I'm just trying to make you go through, you know, verses, but I will not, and it's never my goal, to stand before you and just spout out information without, uh, as some people will call it, now I'm not even going to say that because that will identify the person. But anyway, I always want to be able to give you the reference to it so that you can stand on that. Okay, so Mark's gospel, the first chapter and the 21st verse. In the Amplified, it says, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The Living Bible says Jesus and his companions now arrived at the town of Capernaum, and on Saturday morning, went into the Jewish place of worship, the synagogue, where he preached. But they moved to, okay, oh, just do this. You're already in Mark, drop down to verse 29. Verse 29 and 30, because I want to prove something else to you about Peter. Verse 29 in Mark 1 says, and immediately they left the synagogue and went into the house of Simon, Peter, and Andrew, accompanied by James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately he told him, meaning Jesus, about her. Um, looking at it in the Living Bible, it says, then leaving the synagogue, he and his disciples went over to Simon and Andrew's home, where they found Simon's mother-in-law sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. Now, during this time, Capernaum was the major town on the north tip of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus made Capernaum his own home, okay, and the base of his ministry for several months. That's why we hear about it all the time. And if you turn to Matthew's gospel, the 11th chapter, verses 20 through 24, this is kind of important. Okay, I'm going to pause here, and I'll come back to it next week. What this is going to show us, we all know the story of Jesus in the fig tree, right? When he cursed the fig tree, and it withered up, and it died. Well, this next verse of scripture that we're going to read, it's going to show us how Jesus, through his words, okay, literally destroys two cities. But the key is, those two cities, now this happened thousands of years ago, they're still in ruins. And the reason why that's so important is because we're going to talk about, again, when we say something, how powerful it is. Because if Jesus can say it, and it holds true all of these years, when you say something, where does Jesus live? He lives where? Within you. So when you speak, who's speaking? It's the same thing as him speaking. Do you know how powerful that is? So we're going to get into that next week. Okay. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212 749 9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.